Well, um, good morning, everybody, and um, thank you so much for all the good wishes uh, uh, for um, the birth of our little grandson, who's um, unnamed yet. Um, I think um, Claire and Keith are so busy uh, trying to nappy him and all that sort of thing that they've even forgotten about a name. So we, we, we will report to that uh, when that happens, and uh, Sue's going down tomorrow um, to help look after baby and Claire because Keith has to go back to work. So um, um, I'll be on my own. <laughs> I think I'll cope. We've got about eight takeaways in Kensington, you know. Uh, one of the uh, ministries um, at Hope Fongaray um, that's in its infancy at the moment um, is the chaplaincy ministry uh, headed by Elaine Holwell. Is Elaine here today? Is she here? No, not here? Okay. Um, and on uh, Tuesdays, Elaine and uh, a friend of hers called Jocelyn uh, go down into town, and I think, Lynette, you might have a slide there um, of them. Um, and on Mondays, uh, a couple of us also go into the court uh, just across the road here. So you can see Elaine and Jocelyn outside the House of Fun. Um, I don't know whether that's got anything to do with doing evangelism, but there they are. Um, and uh, obviously enjoying themselves and probably went in there to evangelize, I don't know. Um, and then you can see Fitu and uh, Elaine going into the court on Mondays. Um, and this is uh, the, the, the kind of role of the city chaplaincy is to share Christ's love with people by listening to people. Um, and when opportunity arises to be able to share a word of hope or even to offer to pray for someone. One of the things about it is it's really hard work because it's what we call cold case. Because many of the people that they go to talk to, either in the streets or in the shops or in the court, are people they've never met before. And so it's building up relationships. Um, and uh, some people are certainly warming to that ministry. One of the things they have to do is to be totally reliant on the work of the Holy Spirit. But the thing that impresses me most about uh, this ministry is the prayer. And uh, you alluded it to today, John, about a, a, pray, a praying church. Sorry about that. Um, I'm really impressed with the fact that Elaine sends out a fortnightly report to a team of dedicated intercessors, people who are willing to pray. And if you're not on that list and you would like to pray for this ministry, please contact Elaine. And the other thing that they do is they often uh, go into the little lounge at the end of the hall there and they wait on the Lord and they pray and they read scripture and so on and so forth. Um, and they want to be encouraged. And I remember recently... Elaine came and she said, um, we think we've got a word from the Lord. And the word is, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find that it will return to you after many days. And they're really encouraged by that. So what they're doing is they're praying for doors to open. Just like Paul in uh, Barbara's reading from Colossians today says, he said, pray that God would open a door for the word. And this ministry in the chaplaincy is about praying 
It's about caring and it's about sharing. Three things. I've been involved a little bit as I um, meet with them sometimes before they go. They often meet on Tuesdays with um, Howard um, and on uh, Mondays they meet with me before going into the court. Um, and I've also been into the court a couple of times um, to kind of get the feel of how this works. I also uh, attend the lunch on Tuesdays uh, down uh, the last Tuesday of the month. So if anybody's free this Tuesday and you'd like to come to the multicultural lunch, which is in the Civic Arcade, uh, people from different walks of life, different cultures meet and they bring something to eat for lunch and they just sit down and have a shared lunch. Now, this is an opportunity. So the last two Tuesdays that I've been, um, a door opened for the gospel with two particular people. And I want to tell you briefly about that. The first time I went down there, I was sitting on a chair and a lady who had been um, helping with the reception, a volunteer, came and sat next to me and started to tell me about her spiritual journey, just out of the blue. And she told me that she was exploring Buddhism and she was really interested in this new light that she was discovering. And then she asked me a question about kind of what happens after life. And I told her that I was a Christian and that Jesus Christ was the light of the world and he promised us to bring us out of darkness into the light of his son and that when we die, we can be with him forever. And she said to me, that's really interesting. On the second occasion, the, week, the month later, I was sitting next to a Filipino lady and um, she was sharing that she was living in New Zealand with her New Zealand husband. And during our sharing, I asked her quite a few questions about where she'd come from, her family and background and things like that. Because I've, what I've discovered is people love talking about themselves. So all you have to do is, no, they do. You only have to ask people questions. And this is the big thing. And after a little while, she suddenly burst into tears, completely out of the blue. And I thought, oh, help, what have I said? What have I done? And she told me that she'd had a breakup with her first husband back in the Philippines, and it's a burden she'd been carrying for years, and she'd never been able to share it with anyone. So I said to her, would you let me pray for you? And she said, yes, please. So I gently put a hand on her shoulder and I prayed for her. Um, and at the end, this is what she said, I wrote it down. She said, thank you, I really needed that. I must return to my faith. And what had happened was a door had opened. Now, I say this not because of what I did, but because of the prayers of the chaplaincy team, because they're praying for doors to be opened. That's what they're praying for. And this is something that our church can get really involved in. It really is. Now, today's passage in Colossians is all about this. It's about praying, caring, and sharing. Um, we're coming to the end of our letter to the Colossians, and here Paul is saying to the young church, 
after correcting them about various faults. Do you know, have you ever thought about this? The reason why I've got so many letters of Paul is because the church had all sorts of problems. Have we got any problems in our church? Oh, there's a bit of laughter. Okay, I wonder what Paul would say if he wrote a church uh, letter to us. But the Colossians had had a problem. And you know what the problem is. They'd have been introducing other rules and regulations, Jewish regulations, into their faith journey. And, and Paul was saying, you don't need that. And then he says this, after correcting them, he says, P.S., don't forget the mission of God. Stick it on your fridge, Colossians. Don't forget you have a mission. In chapter 3, Paul had reminded the Colossians, for example, that... Um, about some of the essentials of the Christian life. He said, uh, put on the new man, put on tender mercies, put on kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, put on love, which is the bond of everything. And then he talks to them about how to uh, relate to your family members and slaves and masters. He talks about those things. And then finally, in chapter 4, as he's coming to the end of this short book, he says, P.S., don't forget the mission of God. Don't forget it, Colossians. He's reminding them that they have an obligation to reach out. Not just when you feel like it, it's an obligation. To reach out to those people outside the family, he says in verse 5. It's as if he's saying that the new Christian life is not just for the personal blessings that we can receive... It's that we, when we become a Christian, we have a responsibility. We carry a responsibility. And that responsibility is to share the good news with those outside the church. In verses 2 and 3, he says this, Continue earnestly in prayer, praying for us also, that God will open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Note, he not only says continue earnestly in prayer to the Colossians, in other words, keep praying, Colossians. Prayer is the foundation of all things. He then goes on to say, notice, he says, please now will you pray for us and the other Christians in prison with us, not for our protection, not for the woes of imprisonment, but that God would open a door for the gospel. That's what he asked for prayer for. Perhaps sharing with the prison guards, perhaps sharing with other inmates. Paul sees his internment in prison as an opportunity for mission rather than a hindrance to his life. And I think it's the same with us. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, whether it be a good situation or a bad situation, it is an opportunity for the gospel. So, for example, if you're sick and you're in the hospital, it's an opportunity to share the gospel. Um, if you um, go to a club, say a Scrabble club or whatever club you go to, it's an opportunity to share the gospel. Um, if you go to a friendship group, if you're in a job, it's an opportunity to share the gospel with your workmates. 
It's an opportunity. And we need to be praying for those doors to open. Lord, please open a door for me today. I'm willing to share your word. Then in verse uh, 4 and 5, he reminds them of their responsibility as Christians to reach out wisely to those who are not Christians. He says, walk in wisdom towards those who are on the outside. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each one. Speaking to others about Jesus is called evangelism. This is a word that many Christians dislike intensely. Because firstly, many Christians feel they don't know enough. Secondly, fear kicks in. And can I just say that fear is actually an indicator that you should do it. Fear is an indicator because the fear of God, sometimes it's the fear of man that we feel, and God wants us to get over the fear of man. And we, we tend to think this, what happens if I share something and they reject me? The answer is, if you don't share someone, they'll reject Jesus. For others, it might be, oh, I'm not an evangelist. I'm going to leave that to the people in the church of the evangelists. I've got a gift of servanthood. I'm not going to evangelize. Well, that is wonky teaching. It really is. Because Jesus said this. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my evangelists. He didn't say that, did he? He said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. And if any of us have met Jesus, we've had our sins forgiven, we've found new life and new hope, we're a witness. We're a witness to a new life. And so all we have to do is to share and to be aware of how God has intersected with our lives. Now, you might not have the most dramatic story of a dramatic conversion, but you might have answers to prayers that God has answered your prayers, and you might be in a situation where a person is struggling with a certain situation in their family, and you've had an answer to prayer in your family. You can say, can I tell you about the one who answers prayers? He's answered my prayers. Um, you might be in a situation, for example, where you've had a healing and you can share with the fact that God has healed you. You might be in a situation where you've had a miraculous provision of finance. We, we've had one or two in our own family that have been totally miraculous. We don't know where the money even came from. And you can share about a God who loves us. Um, it might be um, that, uh, you know... You know how people say, oh, that was a real coincidence. I believe Christians have God incidences, not coincidences. I can see a few heads shaking. Share that. There are other things too. Just remember that your story is a witness to the risen one. It's a witness. It's like when you go into court, you're a witness in a trial. You can speak about what you know. Don't speak about what you don't know. Just speak about what you know. So following this exhortation to pray, 
a helpful guide is to look at, to look back at what Paul says on how we should do this. Firstly, he says, um, if you move to the next slide, walk in wisdom towards those who are on the outside. By this he means, don't just charge in and bash people over the head with Jesus. That just doesn't work. I've got someone um, who I like very much, um, and he sent me this text recently. He's a real enthusiast for the gospel, and he was up in hospital, and this is the quote he sent me on his WhatsApp. He said, several people up here have Bible bruises from scripture and testimony. And I thought, well, although Jeremiah calls the word of God a hammer, and although Paul calls the word of God a sword, I think we need to be very sensitive and open to how we share. I've got a friend who also says to me, if I feel I'm being Bible bashed, I'm out of here straight away. And this man is coming to faith. And he said that on a number of occasions. He wants the space to explore himself. So to walk in wisdom to those on the outside means to first of all be a good listener, listen to other people with respect, respect who they are, um, and listen, you know, one ear on the conversation, and if you're able to do it, another ear on the Holy Spirit, just to listen to what the Holy Spirit might be saying. And the second thing he says, Paul goes on to say, he says, know how you should answer someone. Notice that Paul says witnessing is about actually answering people's questions. But we answer them from a kingdom of God perspective. When Paul says this, he means do it graciously, do it tastily. What does he say here? Let your speech always be seasoned with salt, full of grace. How many of you watch The Chase? How many of you watch The Chase? A few people watch The Chase? Yep. Okay, you might have a favorite program, but when I'm watching The Chase, sometimes I feel like some potato chips. So I go to the larder when Sue's not listening and I empty a few into a bowl. I take them back to my seat and I'm chewing on those and they're so lovely, I have to keep getting up and going to get some more. So when you speak to someone, it's a like, speak tastily so people want more. They want to hear more of what you've got to say. We don't come to people judgmentally. We don't come to people from a position of superiority. We don't come to people with an attitude of I'm right and you're wrong. When answering people's questions, we should always do it humbly, honestly, compassionately, but also bringing in God's perspective. That's so important. You know, the Holy Spirit is so creative. The Holy Spirit can put words in your mouth that you never dreamed that you would ever say. And if you're genuinely praying for doors to be opened, the Holy Spirit can equip you to say things that you wouldn't have thought of yourself. So it's really interesting, isn't it? If you look at the life of Jesus, and we just heard the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, this is a classic example for us of what Paul was talking about. In John chapter 4, we have this conversation between Jesus and this outcast Samaritan woman. We know she was an outcast because she was drawing water from a well when no one else was there. 
normally the women of the village would go down together. And you probably know why she was an outcast. She was possibly a prostitute. Um, she'd had five husbands, and the one she was living with at the moment wasn't. But Jesus, what did Jesus do? He said, hey, look, I see you're drawing some water. Could you draw some for me too? He, what he did was he started a conversation by asking for something that she could give him. That is so gracious. And then what happened after the quest for physical water, he started to talk about another type of water. And eventually she kept asking him questions. And eventually she said, please, sir, will you give me this water that I might not thirst anymore? And then he shared a word of knowledge about her life. And then she ran off and told everybody in the town, look, I've met someone who knew everything I ever did. And they all came out to meet Jesus. And it's just so fascinating because just about the whole village uh, came to Christ. Listen to what they said. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Jesus because of the word of the woman's testimony. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed with them for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, now we believe not because of your witness, not because of your testimony, because we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Next year we're running Alpha down in town. Is there someone you could bring to Alpha? that might want to be interested in spiritual conversations? Have you got a friend you'd like to bring? Um, Alpha's not the only way people come to faith. There are many people who've come to faith in this church through other people's witness. But eventually, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to bring us to that place of Christ. And finally, before we close, and I want to apologize at this point if I'm repeating something that I have repeated um, in the church before, um, I, I have noted in this book here, 9.30 and 5.30. I think I might have read this story out to people a, a number of years ago. So um, it's a good story because it's to illustrate what I'm talking about today in a contemporary setting. You know how I said um, often the indicator of fear is actually an opportunity for you to share your faith. Well, a guy called John Ortberg wrote a book called If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. It's a great title. And what he talks about here is the indicator of fear. He's on this aeroplane. He's just come back from a job interview in another city, and he sits next to a really smart guy in a pinstripe suit with a tie, and he's called, he calls him Mr. MBA in his mind because this guy is very, very proud of what he does. This is what it says. He spoke, he, he told me that he was in the figure salon business. He spoke of how they could change a woman's self-concept by changing her body. He talked of his excitement about the power and significance of what he did. And Cotter, 
who the guy I'm talking about, was struck by the guy's pride in his work. And he wondered suddenly why Christians were not very proud of their work, why they were so often apologetic about their faith. Looking sceptically at Cotter, the man in the pinstripe suit, Mr. MBA, turned to him and said, what do you do? And this is what it says. The spirit began to brood over the face of the deep. Order emerged from chaos. A voice in a whisper said to me in my ear, let him who boast, boast of the Lord. And this is what Cotter said. It's interesting that we have similar business interests. You are in the body-changing business. I'm in the personality-changing business. We apply basic theocratic principles to accomplish indigenous personality modification. I could see he was hooked because pride is very powerful. Mr. MBA said, look, you know, I think I've heard of that, but do you have an office in this city? Oh, we've got many offices. We've got an office up and down the state. In fact, we're national. And we have at least one office in every state in the nation, including Alaska and Hawaii. He looked rather puzzled. He was searching his mind to identify this huge company that he obviously must have seen in the Wall Street Journal at some stage. And Cotter went on to say, in fact, we've gone international. And management has a plan for us to put at least one office in every country of the world by the end of this business era. Do you have that in your business? Mr. MBA said, well, um, no, actually, we don't. But you mentioned management. How does it work? Cotter said, it's a family concern. There's a father and a son, and they run everything. <laughs> it must take a lot of capital, said Mr. MBA. Cotter, you mean money? I asked. Yes, I suppose so. No one knows how much it really takes, but we never seem to worry about because our boss never seems to have any shortage. The boss always seems to have enough. He's a really creative guy. And the money is, well, it's just there. In fact, we've got a saying in our organization about our boss, that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Oh, he's into ranching too, said Mr. MBA. No, it's just a saying we have, he said. My friend sat back in his seat rather perplexed, and he said, what about you? The employees, Cotter said, well, that's something to really see. We have a spirit that pervades the organization. It works like this. The father loves the son so much, and the son loves the father so much, that their love just filters down through the organization so that we all find ourselves just loving each other. Do you know, I've got friends who will actually die for me. Do you have that in your organization? Uh, Mr. MBA, uh, no, not yet. Um, but he said, uh, do you have good benefits in your organization? Oh, they're substantial, I counted with a gleam. I've complete life insurance, fire insurance, all the basics. Do you know, you might not believe this, but I am having a holding in a mansion that's being built for me right now for my retirement. Do you have that in your business? Not yet, said Mr. MBA. 
And Cotter writes, the light was beginning to dawn. You know, one thing bothers me, said Mr. MBA. I've read all the journals. Um, I've read all the Wall Street journals. I know all the share prices. But how is it I've never heard of your company before? That's a good question, said Cotter. After all, we have a 2,000-year-old tradition. It's called the church. Would you like to sign up? And Cotter goes on to say that they became more than casual strangers after that conversation. That is an example to me of a tasty conversation that kept the other person interested so that they maybe came to a point of revealing uh, what it's all about. And that's what Jesus did at the well, didn't he? He spoke to that lady and gently opened doors for her to see that life was more than she was living. And so, my friends, the question to ask ourselves today and after every message at church, um, you know, after preachers prepare time to prepare sermons, you've got to ask yourself, well, what's the Lord saying to me today? And I wonder if he might be saying this. First of all, don't forget the mission of God. Being a Christian is not about all the blessings it's about the responsibilities we have. In fact, it's a blessing to share your faith with others. Faith comes through hearing. It has to be spoken. As I've said before, we're not Arctic rivers frozen at the mouth. We have a river of life coming out of us to share with others. And the second thing is, each one of us is a witness. We have a story to tell. We have stories to tell. You know... We may not be able to turn the whole world around, but we could turn someone else's world around. And that's the important thing. So don't forget to pray, to care, and to share. Be expectant when you go shopping. You never know who you might meet, who you might help. That can become an opportunity for the gospel. So God bless you. Don't forget the mission of God by praying that doors will be open, then caring for people, and then sharing when the opportunity arises. Amen.